Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and health care with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer stopped by the SUNY Polytechnic Institute's Colleges of Nanoscale Science and Engineering in Albany this week, launching a new push to limit the use of Chinese-made semiconductor chips. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas reports. Schumer says China would like to corner the global microchip market, which would create a national security problem and affect the U.S. economy. I am today announcing that I am proposing in this year's defense authorization bill, the NDAA, that when the federal government is buying a product or service, we block the use of chips from three of the biggest and most dangerous Chinese companies in the game, SMIC, CXMT, and YMTC. The Democrat calls the measure a bipartisan common sense proposal. My sponsor in this legislation is John Cornyn, a member of the Republican leadership in the House, in the Senate. Since 2019, Schumer has been crusading to make New York a national leader in semiconductor and advanced technology manufacturing. He created bills like the U.S. Innovation and Competition Act and has proposed other federal incentives for semiconductor manufacturing that would ultimately benefit the Empire State. Schumer touted the announced $100 billion deal to develop computer chip plants north of Syracuse. Which will include 50,000 good-paying jobs that will have reverberations from one corner of this state to the other. The announcement in Syracuse is going to have big effect on Albany. And when you combine that with all of that, that with OnSemi soon acquiring Global Foundries, Fabinish Fishkill, Wolfspeed recently opening the world's first, largest, and only 200-millimeter silicon carbon factory in Marcy, the advanced packaging capabilities in Rochester, cutting-edge batteries being made in Binghamton, and top-notch manufacturing in Buffalo, you have a uh, technology and workforce corridor flowing all across New York State with a focus here in the capital region. Schumer says the Chips and Science Act that recently became law has also spurred IBM to commit to $20 billion in new investment in upstate New York. Including right here at Albany Nanotech, in fact, IBM and the many other industry and academic partners here at Albany Nanotech have positioned the region as the primed candidate, number one, to lead the National Semiconductor Technology Center, NSTC, that my bill created, which will bring billions of dollars investment and hundreds of jobs to the capital region. In fact, if we get the designation, and I'm already working very, very hard with the Commerce Secretary and the President himself to make this happen, it will make Albany not only the national center, but the world center for high-end research and new semiconductor chip development. Dave Anderson is president of the New York Center for Research, Economic Advancement, Technology, Engineering, and Science. Countries around the world 
have been making major investments in the semiconductor industry for decades. In the past couple of years have exposed our vulnerabilities to our economic and national security of relying on foreign countries for any part of the semiconductor ecosystem. From the chips themselves, to the broader supply chain, to the required technology innovation. The Chips and Science Act includes funding to create a National Semiconductor Technology Center for research and development. And it will ensure that the U.S. continues to lead the world in innovation and design for next generation technologies. Schumer says he expects to see grants begin to be issued to chip fab companies in the next few months. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas. A unionization effort at Amazon's Fulfillment Center in Rensselaer County failed this week. The Legislative Gazette's Lucas Willard was there and filed this report. The National Labor Relations Board tallied the votes of the union election at Amazon's ALB1 facility in Skodak. According to the NLRB, 406 workers voted against unionizing, with 206 voting in favor. More than 800 are employed at the million-square-foot facility. While the vote is not what Skodak union organizer Heather Goodall hoped for, she said she was proud of all the workers who spoke up. Eight months ago when I started at Amazon, the word union was forbidden. It was the second defeat for the Amazon Labor Union, which formed after workers at a Staten Island facility voted to organize last spring. A second facility there declined to unionize. Amazon still objects to the successful Staten Island vote. During the union drive, supporters in Skodak drew attention to workplace injuries, safety issues, including a recent fire, and wages they say haven't kept up with the competition. Goodall credits union supporters with forcing change in recent weeks. We now are seeing repairs in the building. We just saw a raise. We just saw people getting promoted. So at the end of the day, this actually worked to our advantage. Ibrahim Pedrignan, president of the Albany County Central Federation of Labor, said the push for a union at Amazon helped energize other local organizing efforts. He and a handful of other labor leaders gathered outside the NLRB office. There really is an energy around organizing. There's really an understanding that, that for too long workers have been kept down and that workers deserve a voice and a vote, deserve more than their bosses will ever tell them or will ever give them. The Capital Region has seen unionizing efforts in recent months at several Starbucks locations, Joseph's House and Shelter in Troy, and among non-tenured faculty at Skidmore College, which hosts a WAMC News Bureau. Meantime, Amazon is welcoming the results in Skodak. The retailer said it will continue to work directly with its employees, adding it believes it to be the best arrangement for workers and customers. After Tuesday's tally, Amazon Labor Union President Chris Smalls called it a sham election, adding workers were subjected to intimidation and retaliated against, claims Amazon denies. Small said the vote won't be the end of ALU at ALB1. Meantime, the ALU is organizing in Southern California, where workers recently filed for a union election. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Lucas Willard.
You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Joining us now, Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartog. Well, Alan, a new poll from the Siena College Research Institute finds New Yorkers plan to vote for the Environmental Bond Act next month by a 54 to 26 percent margin. Please turn over your ballot. Although the races for governor and other offices have gotten more attention, supporters say the ballot question could have longer-term impacts on the state. The measure would allow New York to borrow up to $4.2 billion to improve and restore natural resources and reduce climate change impacts. And you spoke to one person this week who will not be voting for it. He's voting no. That's Assembly Minority Leader Will Barclay, Republican from the 120th District. He was on your Capital Connection program this week. I don't know about you, but parsing, for example, like Barclay did, that, well, New York only puts out 0.5% of the carbon emissions. We shouldn't be paying this much, basically, and he's voting no. I mean, we're behind the eight ball already on climate change. We have to do everything in our power, David, to make sure that our children and their children and their children are allowed to be in a world which is so threatened by pollution, by all of the things that we have learned about and we have learned to hate. So come on, folks, let's make this happen. I'm not telling you how to vote. I'm just telling you that this vote is very important. Attorney General Tish James Allen and Governor Kathy Hochul released a report this week on the role that online platforms play in the racially motivated shooting at a Buffalo supermarket earlier this year. You'll remember that killed 10 mm-hmm. people, wounded three. The report concluded quote, that fringe online platforms like 4chan radicalized the shooter. Live streaming platforms like Twitch were weaponized to publicize and encourage copycat violent attacks. And a lack of oversight, transparency, and accountability of these platforms allowed hateful and extremist views to proliferate online, leading to radicalization and violence. James has subpoenaed several of the platforms used by the shooter. The idea here is how powerful these quote-unquote platforms are, but then bear no responsibility when people use them to ultimately foment radicalization, and then you see what happens in Buffalo. And that's why WAMC is important. That's why the newspapers, the Buffalo News, and everything else are important, so that when something like this is going on, people know that there is something behind it, something quite insidious quite often. And so what can we do except keep our eyes open and understand that people are trying to take advantage of a democratic system by polluting it. Should there be fines, the ability to hold responsible these platforms if they allow such speech? It depends. I mean, free speech is an honored tradition in this country, and you don't want to mess with it. On the other hand, if you find somebody doing something that is illegal or wrong or needs to be looked at by authorities, then you should do it. Because while this democracy is in place, there will be those who try to take advantage of it and thwart it and manipulate it. We've got to deal with that as it happens. Legislative Gazette political observer, Alan Chartoff. listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. 
New York Governor Kathy Hochul, who has seen her lead in the gubernatorial race slip in the polls, is coming down hard on her opponent's ties to former President Donald Trump. The Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt reports. Republican Long Island Congressman Lee Zeldin, who initially had far less campaign cash than Hochul, held a fundraiser over the summer hosted by Trump. The money raised has helped Zeldin run ads blaming Hochul for the state's increased rate of violent crime, which has been resonating with voters. Hochul blames the crime rate on disruption due to the pandemic. This week, Trump endorsed Zeldin, predicting on his social media site that Zeldin will be a great governor of New York. In the post, Trump says he has watched and known Congressman Zeldin for many years and calls him a great and brilliant lawyer. Trump also says Zeldin was a key resource for other Republicans in Congress when they faced legal obstacles in crafting legislation. Trump, a polarizing figure, is largely unpopular in New York. A recent poll found he was disliked by 61 percent of voters. The Hochul camp wasted no time in cutting a new television ad. He's talking about Lee Zeldin. It features footage of Trump at an April 2022 event at Mar-a-Lago with Zeldin by his side. It also shows Trump giving Zeldin a friendly tap on the shoulder and a photo of the two men smiling. Zeldin is downplaying the endorsement, saying a lot of people have backed him. It shouldn't have been news. I mean, he's, uh, he supported me before this weekend. Zeldin, speaking to reporters, says he welcomes everyone's support, but the race is between himself and Hochul and nobody else. At the start of this campaign, I was asked, are you a Charlie Baker Republican or a Ron DeSantis Republican? I'm my own man. Hochul's campaign also criticized text messages that Zeldin sent to Trump's former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, on the day before the 2020 election was called for Biden. In the messages, he advised Meadows to create a file of any alleged voting irregularities and to include a donation link for Trump's legal fund. Zeldin told Meadows that needed to be done instantly. He also advised Meadows on how to coordinate media coverage for highlighting any alleged wrongdoing in voting practices in battleground states. Trump continues to falsely claim that he won the election in the face of facts and evidence that show President Joe Biden won both the popular vote and the Electoral College. The texts, uncovered by the Congressional Committee investigating the events of the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, were released by investigative journalist Hunter Walker. Hochul says the texts, along with Zeldin's votes in Congress on the day after certifying the election, show that he's unfit to be governor. When voters understand how extreme Lee Zeldin is, not only did he vote to overturn the presidential election, he was one of the early co-conspirators sending text messages trying to give a strategy to the White House, the chief of staff of the White House, on how to subvert the will of the people. Zeldin's campaign does not deny that the congressman wrote the texts, but they say the Hochul campaign is mischaracterizing them for political gain. Zeldin's spokesperson Katie Vincent says in a statement that Hochul is desperate when she'd rather obsess over a text message sent at the beginning of November before the election was even called, rather than focus on the issues most important to New Yorkers. Vincent says those those issues include the rising crime rate and the skyrocketing cost of living. Polls released this week show Zeldin is between 4 and 11 points behind Hochul in the race and that he's leading among independent voters. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. The candidates for New York's 45th state Senate district seat clashed over several issues during a debate at Mountain Lake PBS this week. The Legislative Gazette's Pat Bradley, who is a panelist, has this recap. 
The 45th Senate District has become the largest geographically in New York, spanning much of the northeastern portion of the state, from Queensbury to the Canadian border, the eastern and northern Adirondack region, and further extending into St. Lawrence County to include Messina, Canton, and Potsdam. Republican Dan Steck is seeking his second term. He previously served four terms in the state assembly. Democrat Gene Lapper is a CPA from Queensbury who has not previously held elective office. The duo disagreed on a number of issues. The first question illustrated their differences, with Lapper emphasizing her support for full access to women's health care, including abortion. Steck opposes abortion, with exceptions for rape, incest, and a mother's life. He voted against a proposed state constitutional amendment to protect abortion and contraceptive rights. The constitutional amendment is very vaguely worded, which means it could be very openly and broadly interpreted and potentially abused. I can see this opening the door for more late-term abortions, you know, up until the last term of pregnancy. And if it was worded more tightly, then perhaps I'd give it another look. Thank you. Ms. Lapper. Equal rights as it relates to women, right to privacy, right to access as an abortion, uh, to an abortion, protecting pregnant women. Those are all in the Equal Rights Amendment. And we need to protect more people, not fewer people. Lapper and Steck traded barbs during an exchange on repurposing closed prisons scattered across the North Country. My fear is that this is going to continue to happen and we will have these blights on our North Country communities and there's no excuse for these governors to allow this to happen. Ms. Lapper. Clearly the state should uh, make better use of these assets. And I want to know where Senator Steck was when he was in the Assembly and the Senate for how we should repurpose these buildings. Clearly my opponent isn't familiar with my Assembly District, but the eight years that I was in the Assembly, none of the prisons that were shuttered were in my Assembly District. I've opposed the closure authority that was given to uh, the governors to do this, and they control these buildings, and there's nothing that the legislature can do about it directly. I am familiar with your assembly district because I live there. I hear that you've opposed things, but I didn't hear any solutions being offered. Lapper and Steck disagreed on crime rate statistics and the need for further bail reform. We have not seen an increase in crime in our area, and the crimes that we do see are related to drugs and alcohol for the most part, and we need to provide solutions to get to the core reasons for crime. I completely disagree. I'm the author of the repeal halt bill. I'm also co-sponsor of a bill that would repeal bail reform. We need leadership that looks at the issues and comes up with some common sense answers and not politicians that are working on fear just so that they can get reelected. The numbers are bearing out that crime is not on the increase. This isn't politics of fear, this is fact. In 2022 alone, there have been two homicides in Plattsburgh. There's a homicide in Tupper Lake. Last week, there was a homicide in Malone. This is just my Senate district just this year. Crime is on the increase. Both candidates agreed that there is a shortage of affordable housing, but their exchange on how it is affecting multiple sectors morphed into an attack by Lapper on Steck's voting record. Right now we're in a crisis of affordable housing, and what I'm seeing is him voting against every item in the budget, so the funding that provides the affordable housing is being denied to this area. Mr. Steck. Why vote against budget bills? Well, bail reform was done in the budget. The prison closure authority was done in the budget. 
$2.1 billion for unemployment for illegal immigrants was in the budget. Take that $2.1 billion and put that into affordable housing upstate, that would have made a difference, but we gave that to illegal immigrants. There's good stuff in the budget, but I'm not going to sell my yes vote in order to throw dollars out the window. The full debate premieres Friday at 8 p.m. on Mountain Lake PBS and online. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Pat Bradley. listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Kingston Mayor Steve Noble has outlined his budget proposal for 2023. The Democrat delivered the plan to the City Council early this week. The $50 million budget is up from last year's $46 million proposal, but Noble says even with expenses up, tax rates are actually slightly lower than last year, continuing a seven-year decline. Noble says the Ulster County city of roughly 25,000 people is benefiting from higher sales tax receipts, even as it braces for economic uncertainty during a time of high inflation. The Legislative Gazette's Ian Pickus spoke with Mayor Steve Noble. I think for us here in the city of Kingston, uh, we wanted to develop a structurally sound budget uh, that was fiscally constrained, but also then invested in all the right places. And so while our expenses are up, um, like households and communities are facing across the state, uh, we were able to, uh, you know, from our perspective, you know, invest though in all of the right places. Uh, and that has allowed us to uh, lower tax rates uh, for the seventh year in a row, uh, lower the tax levy slightly, uh, and also then uh, invest in um, new programs in sustainability and mental health uh, in being able to make sure that we um, supported all of our infrastructure work that's happening in the city. And so we feel like this is a good, well-rounded budget uh, while also making sure that it's uh, we're cautiously optimistic um, that, uh, you know, we will have, um, you know, lower inflation and lower costs, but we prepared for the worst with this budget um, and made sure that we gave ourselves some um, flexibility as we kind of go through 2023, which will probably be a, uh, still is kind of an unknown year on, on how it's all going to shape up. Uh, last year, your proposal was for, if I remember correctly, around $46 million or so. Is that right? Yes. Yep. And where does this uh, year's total fall? Yeah, so our total budget this year is uh, just over $50 million, so we're at $50 million. $94,707. And so you'll see there that um, our expenses um, did increase in a couple of key categories, you know, everything from personnel expenses uh, to, uh, you know, expenses in a lot of contractual areas that um, really are kind of tied to inflation, like fuel costs and uh, materials, supplies, and goods. Uh, But we also saw increases in sales tax and mortgage tax uh, revenues, uh, which really then helped to offset, um, you know, those increased costs. And that's why we were able to, um, you know, come in with a budget that was, um, you know, less burdensome on our taxpayers this year compared to last. 
Does the tax rate fall within the state tax cap limit? Yes. And so for us, um, our tax levy has been flat um, since 2016, uh, uh, which is basically a 0% tax increase. Uh, And this year, um, we were actually able to lower our tax levy just slightly by about $50,000. And so for each of the years going back to 2016, uh, we've actually had declining tax rates um, here in the city. And so um, that's good for our residents. Uh, They're actually paying less in taxes and getting more in services, um, at least here at the, the city level. Level, which are the only taxes, unfortunately, that we can control um, here uh, in, the, in the area. Are there any priorities that are carried within this budget that you'd like to highlight? Yeah, I think for us, you know, we really um, had two main areas of, of excitement. Uh, one is we are launching uh, the first outside of New York City, uh, a mobile health uh, mobile mental health uh, co-response team, which pairs one of our firefighters with uh, a crisis counselor, uh, and they're going to be able to respond to emergency mental health calls uh, here in the city of Kingston. Uh, we just took uh, ownership of our very first ambulance uh, this past Friday. Uh, the only other program that we know of that has a pilot program um, running is New York City, um, and so we're going to be the first, that we believe, outside of New York City to have this co-response team uh, that's going to work five days a week, eight hours a day, uh, to be able to respond to calls. Um, and so we really we identified that in the budget as something that we're excited to be able to support um, going forward uh, with our partners. And then uh, the second thing is related to sustainability. Um, we're actually investing in uh, a proposed uh, four building solar project that's going to cover four of our municipal buildings with solar um, and with enough to be able to power a few other buildings uh, on top of it um, based on some of the size of what we can build Uh, and you know being able to roll out our first uh, composting collection program it'll be a municipal composting collection program where we'll be setting up in year one anyway uh, 12 drop-off locations where residents and businesses can go and bring their compost uh, drop it off and then we will uh, manage it uh, here as, as the city of Kingston and that's the first of a three-year project and by the end of the three years uh, we uh, have um, compost bins delivered to every residence and business that wants one uh, so that we can have municipal compost collection um, in the entire city. So those were some of our big announcements today too. Um, so mental health, sustainability, uh, and then you know being able to just keep um, you know moving forward as a city on some of the great work that we've been able to do over the last couple of years. That's Kingston Mayor Steve Noble speaking with the Legislative Gazette's Ian Pickus about his $15 million budget proposal. And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2242. Or just listen online at wamc.org. Schedule a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And join us again next week at this same time for more news on New York State government and politics. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustina.